Brothers and sisters, please open with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16, as we continue this study here in the book of Revelation. While you're turning there, I know that for many of us over the past week, we've been watching the news and hearing reports of the tragic debacle that is taking place right now in the country of Afghanistan. Whatever you may think about our country's involvement in Afghanistan over the past 20 years, or our president's decision to remove our military forces from there, what we are watching is a radical Islamic government that is now installed, which prohibits its citizens from converting to Christianity and persecutes those who have converted to Christianity. And while we may be blessed with freedom and peace in our nation, this is still a wicked world that we live in. And the kind of opposition we see in Afghanistan is the opposition that Christ Church will continue to face in different ways and in different times until the end of this age. So this leaves us, as we struggle and suffer in this world, with our hearts crying out for justice. Oh God, when will you make these things right? When will such persecution end? When will those who are wronged receive judgment? And what we find here this morning is that it's at the end of this age when we will finally experience the justice that our heart longs for. Which is why this chapter of God's coming wrath is meant to be an encouragement to our souls in the midst of the hardships that we face in this world. So let us then read together Revelation chapter 16. And we'll read the whole chapter this morning, verses 1 to 21. Where the Apostle John records... Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. And it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then a third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. For it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophets. 
for they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises, thunderings, and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Brothers and sisters, before we continue, let us again draw before the throne of our Lord in prayer. Father, these are indeed sobering words. And yet, Father, you have revealed them to us for our encouragement as we live in this corrupt and cursed world. So, Lord, may we receive these truths as your word is preached, as we recognize the sinfulness of sin, the wickedness of mankind, and the righteousness and goodness of your judgment to come. So, Lord, we pray that you will be at work in each and every one of our hearts this morning through your Spirit empowering this message for the salvation of our souls and for the edification of saints. May you be glorified as Christ is magnified, even in these words of judgment, Lord. We pray these things, and in the name of our sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God's message for us this morning is clear. That God's wrath is coming against unrepentant sinners. God's wrath is coming against unrepentant sinners. And we see this then through these seven bowls of judgment that are poured out in the chapter. In the first three bowl judgments, we have revealed God's righteousness and retribution. God's righteousness and retribution which we read of in verses 1 to 7. Then this is followed in the second four bowl judgments where humanity's hardness of heart is revealed. Humanity's hardness of heart. Verses 8 to 21. Let's begin then by, consider, by considering God's righteousness in retribution through the th- first three bowl judgments here. Revelation chapter 16. And of course, here throughout the book of Revelation, we have the Apostle John who's recording these symbolic visions of prophecy from God so that Christ's churches will be encouraged as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. While we too, well, we all are born as sinners in a sin-cursed world. 
Christ has redeemed us and set us free from our slavery to sin by shedding his own blood on the cross in our place under the judgment of God. So we are saved from God's wrath through the death of Christ for our sins. Yet, we remain in a corrupt world that hates God and that opposes Christ's church, which is why we are living today and through this age in a spiritual war. The Revelation reveals this conflict will intensify when our enemy Satan releases the Antichrist and the false prophet to deceive the world. When the governmental and economic and religious powers of the world unite together in order to persecute Christ's church. What hope then do we have as we face this time of tribulation throughout this age and we prepare for this persecution to come? Well, by now, I hope our hope is clear that God's kingdom is coming at the end of this age when Christ purifies this world and restores it for us to enjoy in God's presence forever. This is the glorious hope that we have in Christ. But it is a hope that we are waiting for as we continue living in this age. And so here in this chapter, we are given a preview of the long-awaited justice to come in this world. As God's wrath is poured out through seven plagues in seven golden bowls by seven angels. And if you compare these seven bowl judgments to the seven trumpet judgments that we read back in chapters 8 through 11, we find there are strong parallels between them. But I also think it's important to notice the differences as well. With the trumpet judgment sounding, and a third of the world is impacted. But these bold judgments, when they are poured out, devastate the entire world. We also see how these bowls of wrath more directly judge humanity than the temple, or sorry, than the trumpet judgments. And so it seems best to see these bold judgments as an intensification and a culmination of the previous judgments that have come from God. But like the trumpet judgments that have come before, these judgments, these bold judgments, are plagues which echo the plagues which God sent against Egypt in the exodus of his people. Which is why as God delivered Israel from their suffering in Egypt through plagues of judgment against their enemies, so too God will deliver Christ's church as the spiritual Israel from our suffering in this world through the plagues of judgment against our enemies. So now that in chapter 15 there's been this preparation for the pouring out of these bowls of judgment. Come to this chapter, where the God's temple in heaven has been opened to execute Christ's judgment with these bowls. And here we read them being poured out. And before we look at them specifically, I admit that as we consider each bowl, it can be difficult for us to know how much of what John sees here is symbolic and how much of it is a literal description of what is to come. But however symbolic and however literal they may be, the focus here in recording these visions for us is to have our minds and our imaginations awakened to the pictures of the horrors that will come at the end of this age against unrepentant sinners. And so this chapter then begins by John hearing a loud voice from the temple where God commands 
It's God himself here speaking and commanding the seven angels to go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. Which is why in verse 2 we read of the first bowl being poured out by the first angel on the earth. And it brings a plague of foul and loathsome sores to the land and to those living on it. These sores are putrid and painful. They're hurt horribly, which repeats the sixth plague of Egypt. In Exodus 9, verses 8 to 12, where boils break out as sores on man and on beast. But have you ever experienced such painful sores on your body? I admit I haven't. But you may remember Job and all that happened to Job when Satan came and struck him with painful boils all over his body. How did he respond? They hurt so much that he scraped his sin or his skin with a potsherd. He was scraping his his skin with a piece of broken pottery to somehow get some relief from the pain that these sores cause. Well, as we come to Revelation 16, who have these loathsome sores on them as the first bowl is poured out? But all of humanity who remain in rebellion against God and sin. Because they are those who have received the mark of the beast, who have worshipped his image by following the Antichrist and listening to the false prophet. And who will be protected from this plague? Well, those who do not have the mark of the beast. Those who will not worship his image, because they are those who have been sealed with God's name. And those who worship him. In other words, Christ's church. Christ's church will be protected from this plague of wrath to come. But then in the next verse, we have the second angel who pours out the second bowl, this time on the sea, which was how business would be carried out throughout the Roman Empire. And so this plague then devastates this future revival of the Roman Empire by the Antichrist as the world economy comes to a collapse. So as this plague is poured out on the sea, it becomes like the blood of a dead man with all of its bloated stench like the first plague of Egypt back in Exodus 7, verses 14 and 25. But as the seas turn to blood, John sees all the living creatures there of the sea die, from the fish to whales to deep-sea creatures, all now littering these seas of blood under the judgment of God and causing the collapse of civilization itself. Now, when the false prophet came upon the earth, we've seen that he caused all to receive the mark of the beast. Why? So that no one could buy or sell except those who had been given the mark, the mark of the beast, which then excluded Christ's church from being involved in business, in buying and selling, which brings the church into great poverty and hardship. Yet when God's judgment comes, the entire economic enterprise of the system now collapses under the wrath of God. But then as we read of the third bowl, it seems to be a continuation of the second when the rivers and springs of water also become blood. And it's upon this 
plague, this pouring out of judgment that the angel who pours out this bowl speaks and sings praise for God's righteousness in the midst of his judgments of wrath. And it's in this angel's hymn of God that we learn of retributive justice. Retributive justice when the guilty are punished in proportion to their violation of God's law. That's what justice is. When the guilty are punished in proportion to their violation of God's law. And this justice is, comes in order to uphold God's righteousness. Most of us know about retributive justice through the saying, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which in Latin is called the lex talionis, which means the law of retribution. But this is the standard of justice that God reveals in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. But look at this heavenly reasoning through this psalm. It begins by proclaiming that the Lord is righteous. That he is our eternal and holy God ruling over his creation through all of human history. But why is he righteous? Because he will judge what happens in this world. So that no injustice, no wickedness, no evil, no sin against us will go unpunished. Well, then what will God judge? God will judge all those who have shed the blood of saints and prophets. So those who are killed for their faith as martyrs will receive justice. Governments may fail us. Wicked men may harm and kill us. And persecution may lead to many of our deaths. But God will bring justice to this world. How then will they be punished? By God giving them blood to drink. After all, where does our drinking water come from? But the rivers and springs of water, which will one day all be turned to blood. And why are they given this blood to drink as their punishment? Well, the song ends because it is their just due. It is what they deserve. In other words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth also means in blood for blood. They have poured out the blood of the martyrs. Well, God will then have them drink of the blood themselves. And after this song, John hears a voice from the altar of the heavenly temple. And it was, you may remember, from this altar that the prayers of the martyrs were presented before God and are now being answered through these plagues. Which is why this heavenly voice then joins in worshiping God by confirming what has been sung, that the Lord Almighty, the Lord God Almighty, is true and righteous in His judgment. Brothers and sisters, God is righteous. Which is why His justice requires punishing the wickedness of this world. So through our trials and our troubles in this life, however severe they may be, however long they may last, let us remember that God's justice is coming against all who oppose and oppress us. In the first three bold judgments, 
we've seen God's righteousness and retribution. Then this leaves the last four old judgments where we also see humanity's hardness of heart. Verses 18, or sorry, verses 8 to 21. And so the fourth bowl is poured out. This plague being poured out on the sun with the power then given to this angel to scorch men with fire. Now, what is the hottest day you ever remember being outside and being squelched under the heat? For me, it's probably several years ago when I was in Kenya on the coast of Mombasa. It's over 100 degrees with high humidity and no air conditioning. And the record for heat, in terms of what people have been able to measure, is actually in Death Valley here in the U.S., where there's a place they actually call Furnace Creek. I'm sure it describes well how it feels, because the temperature there reached a record of 134.1 degrees. But here, as we read of this plague of God's wrath, it's even more severe. Because all those on the earth are scorched under such great heat that it's hard for us to even imagine. But how do they respond? Does this great heat humble them so that they recognize what they have done is wrong and turn to God in repentance for their sin? Sadly, no. Rather than humbling their hearts, their hearts are hardened. So they blaspheme God's name, joining in the blasphemy of the Antichrist and continuing to disobey God's law by breaking the third commandment in cursing God as the one who is judging them through these plagues. Like Pharaoh's heart was hardened when God's plagues came against him in Egypt, so humanity's heart at the end of this age when God's plagues come, will also be hardened. And these plagues continue. Which brings us to the fifth bowl, which is poured out on the Antichrist throne itself, where his very power is found. And his kingdom becomes full of darkness, like the ninth plague. In Exodus 10, verses 21 and 29, when darkness was so great in Egypt that it was felt and people couldn't see one another or leave their homes. Now, I know today it could be hard for us to even be in complete darkness. But experiments have shown that it can cause you to lose your mind. Which is why sensory deprivation is actually used as a form of torture. What then do we see happens when those on the earth experience this kind of darkness? Well, they gnaw their tongues because of the pain. So it's through this bowl that the Antichrist's power comes to an end as his mighty empire is destroyed. See, while he may have been given great authority over this world for a time, his throne is temporary. And it is always under the sovereign authority of God who is seated on his heavenly throne. Would this be enough for those living to turn away from their sins and seek God's forgiveness? Tragically, no. How stubborn sin is. How hard humanity's hearts will become. So they again 
blaspheme God because of their pain and the sores that they have, and they stubbornly refuse to repent. Which then brings us to the sixth bowl, which is poured out on the great river Euphrates. Now, during the sixth trumpet, in Revelation 9, verses 13 to 15, an angel releases four demonic angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates to carry out God's sentence of death to a third of mankind. And as you may remember, the Euphrates River was a border with the Nile River for the promised land when God gave his people this land in freeing them from their slavery to Egypt. But when John is receiving this vision, the Euphrates River had become the eastern border of the Roman Empire, which protected them from the rival Parthian Empire. But now that this bold judgment comes, what happens to the river? Its water dries up preparing a way for the kings of the East to then join together with the Antichrist for a final battle. So it's through this bowl that we see historic borders separating the nations of this world removed as the leaders and their people unite together against God and his people. And how does this happen? Well, John sees three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouths of the unholy trinity. The dragon Satan, the beast Antichrist, and the false prophet all having these frogs coming out of their mouths. But the frogs are what symbolize these spirits of demons as signs are performed by this unholy trinity to deceive the kings of the earth and the whole world so that they will gather together in battle at the coming day, the great day of God Almighty. You see, frogs were considered unclean creatures for Israel in their dietary laws. And frogs were also the second plague against Egypt. So these deceptive words that come out of the mouths of the unholy trinity, this false trinity, in gathering the nations together for battle are unclean words that will only lead to their destruction. why then in verse 15 Jesus himself breaks in to speak to us and he says that he is coming as a thief now what happens when a thief breaks in well it's unexpected it's unexpected which is what a thief needs, this element of surprise to then steal your stuff. But Jesus says he too is coming as a thief. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, verses 42 to 44. Jesus says to his disciples, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So in the light of Christ's return in judgment, what does he say to his church? Be prepared. We must persevere through the persecution of this world, as intense as it may become, by living with this future in mind. Which means that we must not give in to the temptation to compromise our faith in order to live peacefully in this world. But we must endure this war against us while watching for Christ and keeping our spiritual garments pure. Because if we persevere through our faith in Christ, he says we'll be blessed in the age to come. But if we forsake Christ under the pressure to conform to this world, we'll be left exposed and disgraced in shameful nakedness when his judgment comes. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, may we never forget that we are living through a spiritual war during this age. And it's between those who have been saved by Christ and those who live in rebellion against God. And this division will one day become clear when they are gathered together at the end of the age to a place which is called in Hebrew Armageddon, which is this final battlefield predicted by the Old Testament prophets. But at last we come in this chapter to read of the seventh bowl as it is poured into the air. And it brings God's final judgment of wrath upon this world to usher in the world to come. And as this plague is poured out, a loud voice comes from God who is sitting on his throne in heaven declaring, It is done. What did Jesus cry from the cross? It is finished. And now we hear his work finalized at the end of human history with these words from God. It is done. God's wrath against this world and unrepentant sinners is complete. Which is why the fourth time the storm's judgment, uh, a storm of God's judgment is here recorded in Revelation, where we find this being rooted in God's holy presence in Mount Sinai before Israel, as, as we hear these noises and lightnings and thunder, and, and, and we find this then being fulfilled in all that has been described before. So John sees and hears these great disruptions, including an earthquake that was so strong it became greater than any other in human history. Now, there have been some devastating earthquakes through the centuries. The strongest one ever recorded was the great Chilean earthquake back in 1960, which measured about 9.5 on the Richter scale and caused tsunamis across the Pacific Ocean. But this one, in which the fullness of God's wrath is complete, will be greater, and it will break the Richter scale as the earth shakes under the judgment of God. What then happens to the capital city of Babylon where the Antichrist has ruled and which symbolizes humanity's stubborn refusal to submit to God in their sin as well as their final effort to oppose and oppress Christ's church through their power? Well, John watches as the city is divided into three parts and destroyed under God's wrath. But it's not only the capital city that is destroyed. The cities of the nations also fall. This is because great Babylon was remembered before God for all of its wickedness. Since he knows all and nothing happens in this world that escapes his notice. Why George L. Ladd, as he comments on these words that great Babylon was remembered before God, he says, These are poignant words. During the short period of the reign of Antichrist, it will seem as though God has forgotten his people. Evil will seem to be the victor. No deliverance is in sight, but God does not forget. God remembers, and he will remember to give the mighty enemy of his people her just due. So the city will come under the judgment of God as the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath is given to it. Which then leads to creation itself seeming to be pulled apart before our eyes with the islands and the mountains disappearing. 
And then a great hailstorm from heaven falls upon the men of the earth, like the seventh plague against Egypt in Exodus 9, verses 13 to 35. But here has intensified with each hailstone weighing about a talent, which would be about 100 pounds. Now, I don't know the kind of hail you've seen. The largest I think I've ever seen would be about a dime, maybe weigh a few ounces. But imagine the destruction of these hailstones like cannonballs falling down upon the earth. But brothers and sisters, as this chapter draws to a close, let us grieve the hardness of the human heart. Because by now you know how those dwelling on the earth will respond, don't you? Once again, they blaspheme God for the plague of hail. See, in sin, they only focus on themselves and on their pain rather than on God and on his call to repent. Which is why they would rather gather for a fight in a futile war against God than to surrender to him and be saved from his wrath by believing in Jesus Christ. Oh, the hardness of the human heart in sin. This is why God's wrath is coming against unrepentant sinners. God's wrath is coming against unrepentant sinners. So I ask each of us this morning, each of you, are you believing in Christ? Have you received His Father's name as a seal which protects you from God's wrath? Because what Revelation shows us is this. If you do not repent you are living for a lost cause whatever you may gain in this world will come to an end and you will be judged under the wrath of God well may this not then be your future because this is a time where God is calling all of us to repent, to turn away from our sins as we look to Jesus, who in love bears the very wrath of God we deserve for our sin. As he dies in our place on the cross. The tragedy of what we read in Revelation chapter 16 is that in many ways this is so unnecessary with the grace of Christ being proclaimed to all. Oh, repent of your sins and receive Christ as your Savior. Do not be among those will suffer under the torment the wrath of God to come. But it is also through this wrath that justice is found. Either this justice comes through the punishment of Jesus as the substitute for his church, or it will come in the pouring out of God's judgment of wrath against unrepentant sinners. And it's with this desire for justice that these words of wrath become an encouragement to us. 
Because as Christians, while we may not yet be at war with the Antichrist, this is simply the final effort by Satan to overcome God in a spiritual war that began when Jesus was born as a baby. In order to live and die and redeem a church. And it's this war that continues then ever since Christ's death and will continue until His return. So we need to remember that God's wrath is coming against unrepentant sinners so that we will persevere as we struggle and suffer in a world that hates God and that opposes His people. Well, let's return for just a moment to consider this spiritual war that is now taking place in Afghanistan. When the American troops left the country and now the Islamic Taliban has taken over, As this all began, there's a Christian reporter named Mindy Bells who works for World Magazine and reports on what takes place in the Middle East. And she tweeted online these words, that a person who works with house church networks in Afghanistan reports its leaders recently received letters, or sorry, that uh, that, uh, these church networks in Afghanistan reports its leaders received letters last night from the Taliban warning them that they know where they are and what they are doing. The leaders said they aren't going anywhere. So it begins. And since the Taliban have since taken over the capital city of Kabul, we hear more and more of the horrors that are now taking place to Christians. According to one pastor who's involved in training Afghan pastors, he writes, since this weekend, this is, he's writing this now. This is happening today. Since this weekend, more disturbing reports are coming in, and life for the Afghan church is at the beginning of a new chapter Young Christian girls are being pursued by the Taliban and forcibly raped and brought in to become wives of Muslims. The Taliban just raided the home of another church leader and confiscated his Bibles and literature. Many will surely die at the hands of the Taliban. And most of the Christians in Afghanistan will not be able to escape the country. It's why they fear for their lives under the persecution that has already begun. Oh, how we must be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan during this time. But how will they have the strength to persevere? How will they have the strength to persevere through this? How will any of us have the strength to persevere through this kind of persecution? It's by remembering that God's wrath is coming, which will bring justice to this world and will vindicate Christ's church. However horrific a tribulation we face in this world, justice is coming. And we will be resurrected to a restored world that is purified from all sin. That we can live forever in God's presence. That is the hope of believers in Christ. It gives us the confidence to persevere in a world that is filled with wickedness. May we then be those who look to Christ and persevere by faith in Him. Let's pray. Father,
May we receive these words this morning with the encouragement that you've meant them to be for those who follow Christ. That your righteous justice will come Retribution will take place. And that through this judgment, our eternal future of joy will arrive. Lord, do not let us be lulled into sleep. by the relative ease in which we are currently living. But may we be those who will persevere through all the opposition of our enemy. Until our Savior returns and we live in your presence forever. Oh Lord, please, Help us to remember what you have revealed to us this morning. That God's wrath is coming against unrepentant sinners. May this lead us to be a people of repentance, even as we call others among us to repent so that they too can look forward to the future with joy rather than to fear this future with dread. So we pray for these words. We pray then in this name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.